So our scripture reading today is from Luke chapters 20 and 21, just the last, the last passage in Luke chapter 20 and then spilling over into the first passage in Luke chapter 21. Uh, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Beginning in verse 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So if you are relatively new to hope of Christ, uh, telling you that our passage during Advent was from Luke probably isn't surprising. Telling you that it's from Luke chapters 20 and 21 might be a little odd. But we have been in the book of Luke here for, uh, for just over two years now, and so uh, it seemed appropriate as we approach, as we are now in the last week of Jesus' earthly life, and as he teaches in the temple day after day, and as uh, we're told in other gospels that every night he would travel back to Bethany and spend the night uh, likely at Mary and Martha and Lazarus's home, and then they would travel back and teach in the temple again. It seemed appropriate to just sort of see how does, how do these passages connect to Advent, connect to the the hope and the longing. Uh, technically, the the second week of Advent is the week uh, celebrating the peace that Christ has come to bring to earth. And so one of the questions we'll ask at the end of this passage is, how does this point to the peace that Jesus brings to earth? I've, uh, I've quoted this theologian before, but I usually make a mess of it because it's not the easiest sentence to get out. So I'm going to try again, uh, but it's um, Charles Wright is the uh, theologian, and he said it while being accompanied by the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band uh, in Express Yourself during the bridge. Charles Wright says, It's not what you look like when you're doing what you're doing. It's what you're doing when you're doing what you look like you're doing. Got it? I'm pretty sure I said it right this time, so I'm going to say it again. It's not what you look like when you're doing what you're doing. It's what you're doing 
when you're doing what you look like you're doing. Express yourself. Anyway, so it's not so important what you look like if what you look like isn't what you're doing. If what you look like is a facade to cover up what you're doing or is a fake version of what you're doing, what matters is what you look like if you happen to look like what you're actually doing. Because essentially what matters is what are you doing? And this passage shows us two extremes of this. Shows us that, first of all, someone that looks like something, but in the eyes of Christ is less than nothing. And then in the second, we see something that looks like nothing, but in the eyes of Christ is more than some things. And so first... Jesus is watching people in the temple, and he sees the scribes. Some of your Bibles might just call them teachers of the law. These were Levites, so of the tribe that oversaw the temple and the synagogues. Uh, These are, so scribes were Levites, but not necessarily from the priest's line, but We remember from Old Testament and from law that all of the Levites were involved at some level in the temple worship. And so the Levites, the the scribes, were the teachers. They were the theologians. They were the instructors. They uh, literally, the teachers of the law or the writers, that's why they're called scribes, they would write out applications and, and teach the people how to apply the law to their lives. And Jesus says, beware the scribes. Beware of the scribes. Now, he's not saying literally the scribes are out to get you, so, you know, keep your eyes open, but he's saying beware of the attitude of the scribes. Beware of this hypocritical approach to life and to worship. And he he lays it out. He says uh, the, the, the bottom line is just is pride. You just see it oozing out of every decision that the scribes make. They like to walk around in long robes. This refers to the prayer shawls that you would wear. And theirs were, they liked their prayer shawls long with, with large tassels hanging from each corner. And where normally you would put on a prayer shawl for a time of prayer, these men walked around in their prayer shawls all day so that you would see that they were really, really important, that they were very pious. In some, uh, in some corners of the, of the Presbyterian church, many pastors preach in what are called the Geneva robes. Have you seen that? Like it's usually got puffy sleeves and it's got like velvet stripes on them. Uh, and I learned that those velvet stripes on the sleeve indicate the level of degree that you have. And so three stripes means that you are a doctor. Now imagine, it's, it's fine to, there are churches that have a much higher liturgical idea about how, how worship ought to look and, what, and sometimes they wear robes in order to distinguish from, from the people. But imagine, imagine, Someone walking around, going to 
going to Publix in their Geneva gown and just, you know, picking up some eggs and say, oh, oh why, why, yes, why, yes, I am a doctor. Yes, how did you know? I usually don't let that slip. Oh, oh well, well, thank you. Oh, oh, and all the robes flowing. These guys are wearing their prayer shawls as a public display so that you know, you know, these are some holy, holy men. They love to wear their prayer shawls out in the public. They love the greetings in the marketplace. So there was a, it's not really in the Bible, so it's in, oddly, a written law with the scribes who write the laws that when, when a scribe walked through the marketplace, if you weren't one of the laborers in the marketplace, you stood. You stood as they walked by, and, and they loved to receive those accolades. They loved they loved the best seats in the synagogue. You're never going to believe this, but back then, the best seats were the front row. I know. You're all shocked. And ironically, I was talking to one of you yesterday when we were cleaning up because she said to me, she was like, yeah, imagine if it was the front row and you had to face the crowd. That's what they did. They sat in the front row facing out so that you could see them so that you could see how important they were. Like, it's not enough for you to see the backs of their heads and see that. Like, you have to see and bask in their glory and their prayer shawls. And, and they love the best seats at the feasts. They wanted to make, like, you could, it was too easy to snub them. If you don't, like, if you have ever been forced to be involved in choosing the seating for a wedding reception, you know how horribly wrong this can go. Like who, how close do you get to sit to the bridal party? How close do you have to sit to the restroom? Like there's always going to, there's, there's a table that's always going to be in the corner and someone has to sit there, but who? Who do you put there? Your aunt that still knits you ugly fuzzy sweaters uh, or do you need to promote her more? Or you know, then so like these guys, they would take it personally, just like some of your aunts might if you put them in the wrong place. These guys knew where they were supposed to sit. Everything that the scribe did was produced for maximum exposure and opportunity for adulation and respect and honor from the people. But their hearts were wicked. They devoured widows' houses. The Levites, one responsibility of the Levites was the care for widows and orphans. And these men would, would devour a widow's property. They'd say, well, so we're going to care for you, so why don't we sell your property and give all the money to us because we're Levites and we can't own property, so we'll just sell it off, we'll take the proceeds, but then we'll make sure that you're well cared for. I mean, that's our job, that's what we do. And they would devour the last thing that the widows had, their property. And yet they would make a pretense of long prayers, making sure that you heard how holy they were in their, in their praying There was zero humility in the scribes, and Jesus says their condemnation 
is the greater. They will receive a greater condemnation than others. How many of you read Jim's obituary? How many of you found out for the first time and maybe are finding out in this sentence for the first time that Jim had a PhD? That Jim was Dr. James Rao. That he served in the army during the Vietnam War. That he served the EPA that he studied at UVA. Some of you will be less happy about that than others, but that's okay. But I could probably guarantee you, without having to go to Jim's closet, that there is no Geneva robe in Jim's closet with the three markings to make sure you know his ranking. And even if you didn't know that about Jim, the privilege of praying with him was incredible. To hear Jim pray was to hear a man so overwhelmed with the mercy of God. Jim could not pray without weeping over the kindness of God toward him. Jim could not pray without weeping over the struggles or pains of anyone else he was praying for. He did not make long, pretentious prayers. When Jim prayed, you felt like you were eavesdropping on a man's conversation with his Savior. And it was holy ground. James 1.27 says that the religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unstained from the world. These scribes, not only were they not caring for the affliction of the widows, but they were completely stained by the attitudes of the world. It is all about what people see and how, they appear, how you appear and building your resume and making sure everyone knows that they owe you respect. Are, are we more concerned with looking good than we are with actually being good? Are we more concerned with how people perceive us or how we actually are? These men loved to shine in front of men, but they didn't care how they appeared to God. But their shining wasn't the shining that Christ speaks of. Let your light shine before men so that they might see your good works and glorify God in heaven. These guys all looked like something, but they were less than nothing 
in Christ's eyes. And then this widow and her gift, and it looks like nothing. But it is so much more than some things. Jesus sits just quietly observing. He was a, he liked to people watch. If there were malls in Israel at that time, Jesus would have been someone you saw on benches just sitting and observing. When Amy and I dated, we used to do that, just sit on benches, but it was the 80s, and so we just sat, and Amy taught me how to judge other people by what they wear. So, she did. I mean, we still laugh about it. Like, it was a, it was a really good time. It's a very cheap date. You sit, and I'm like, and I'm like, so, white shoes, is that the problem? She's like, yes, yes. I'm like, okay, I get it, all right. So, but... Jesus sitting in the temple, and he's just watching. And they were offering plates, offering, they were actually like, they were containers that were shaped like ram's horns. They were narrow at the top, so you couldn't steal any. And then they got wider at the bottom, and and you would come and you would put your offering in. And some of the offerings were for dedicated offerings, and and when you brought the dedicated offering, a priest would, would come and see it, make sure it's the right offering, and announce what you're offering. And but then there were also free will offerings. They weren't required. They were just an offering that was given. And it would, you would just go and you would put it in one of these dedicated free will offering containers. And Jesus watched as the wealthy came by and put their offerings in. And then a widow came by. And she puts in two copper coins. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This poor widow, Luke calls her a poor widow. Jesus repeats it. The poor, the word for poor is more than just financially poor. It's actually afflicted. This widow is financially poor and because of it, she in herself is impoverished. She is afflicted by this. This afflicted widow comes and puts in two coins. In financial terms, the, the offering was practically nil. These two coins, the lepta, depending on where you read, it's either, it's anywhere from a 64th of a denarius to a 128th of a denarius at most, so it's an average of about one one one-hundredth of a day's wage. She put two of those in. She put in about five minutes worth of labor earnings. But Jesus says she put in more than everyone else. Not she should be commended as well as the rich. Not she put in an equivalent. He says it is more. In the same way that he says of the scribes, their condemnation is greater. 
Theirs is the more condemnation that they are deserving. He looks at the widow and says, she put in more than all of the wealthy. Because the significance of her gift doesn't come from the dollar amount, but from her heart in the giving, her trust of God in the giving. She gives out of her poverty. These wealthy, he says, they gave out of their abundance. They had it, so they gave. They got paid. They went through their bills, paid off the debt that they were still drowning in, set aside some money for the vacation they're getting ready for, made sure they had the gifts that they needed and and the things and the stuff. And then at the end, they looked and said, oh, well, look, this is what we can give to the temple this, this month. They gave out of what they had left over. Jesus says she gave out of all she had to live on. Her attitude toward giving was that of first, I will give to God, and God will take care of me. I know you think that I have manipulated this in some way, but I promise you this is just where we are in Luke chapter 21 when you look at the little square of our giving right now and it says that we're about $50,000 behind the budget that we had set last year. And so because of that, we are making very drastic changes to the budget we are setting for next year. And so I would just ask you to consider, does your giving look more like the wealthy who are giving out of whatever they have left over? Or does it look like the giving of the widow? Does your giving to the church require you to trust God? Or does your giving reflect, I got it all under control? Here's a tip. Now, how do these two passages even point to Advent, let alone speak to us of the coming of Christ? especially as we consider that Jesus came to establish peace for us. He came to bring peace. But not peace with the world. Peace with God. We look at the first and they come they come into the temple with all of their performance. 
And the widow comes into the temple with all of her poverty. The scribes come with their reputation. But we're called to come with repentance. It's not your wealth, but your woe. Coming to Christ and saying, I have nothing. I am nothing. My reputation is nothing. And receiving peace with God through reconciliation. God and man are reconciled. We sing it. We are reconciled through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is a man of sorrows, acquainted with our suffering. He he was impoverished for our sake, and he gave all for us so that we would give all in worship of him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you that you did not hold back. You sent your very best, the beloved Son, to die for our sins. Lord Jesus, you took on poverty in order that we might be rich in Christ. Lord, deliver us from pride. from building our reputations and our resumes and grant to us that we would worship you with everything. In Jesus' name, amen.